Hi, my name is Christian Taftrup. I'm the director of Speak No Evil. Just to give you a brief sense of the film, I would like to take the opportunity to read some of the very few comments we had during our test screenings while wrapping the film. And um, it goes something like this. The director has to be mentally examined. I've seen many horror films during the years, and this one is 100% the most psychopathic of them all. Okay. Another one. Uh, horrible, horrible film. If the film wants you to get in a bad mood with a heavy stomach ache, the film is pretty successful. And then another one saying, this film should not be recommended to human beings. It should not be recommended as a film. All right. I really hope I will forget this feel bad experience soon. And no, 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 this is not a film I would pay money to see ever again. All right, it was a horrible experience to watch Speak No Evil. My daughter at 19 trembled with fear and cried violently. Thank you, director. And then there's just a brief comment in the end saying, fuck, what a movie. Welcome to Speak All Evil, the podcast you were warned about. I'm Trent, here with Kevin and Dave. Hello. 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 October 29th at Aura in Portland, Maine, Halloween, the show formerly known as Purple Brains. We are going to be your hosts for the evening, emceeing the show on stage. It's going to be a really good time. This is an annual Halloween show. There's lots of music, lots of costumes, costume contests, all the trappings of Halloween. And we will be there to shepherd you through. You can get tickets at AuraMain.com or you can stop by Aura. Uh, 20 bucks, 18 plus the next night. Halloween Eve, October 30th is a Sunday night at the Ephodian Theater in Portland, Maine. We are having our own Halloween party and film screening. We're going to be showing the 1982 classic Basket Case. We've talked yeah, about Basket boom. Case. One of our favorites. Uh, doors at 7 o'clock, 5 bucks. movie at 8. We will be doing the costume contest. We'll be doing a haunted house. We'll be doing peeled grapes. We'll have all kinds of fun surprises for everybody. Mitch Bushnow, our unofficial official artist, is going to be there with lots of goodies. Mitch did our logo, and he's done the posters for our previous film screenings, and he did a, a great poster for Basket Case, which you can see on our Instagram. If you follow us at Speak All Evil Pod, you can stay up to date on all of these coming events. This week, we're talking about two of my very favorite horror movies of the year. They have rocketed to the top. My top five is getting very crowded all of a sudden. We've talked about kind of a slow first half of the year for horror. But since then, it's kind of hard to keep up with all the great movies coming out. I want to talk about a brand new Danish movie called Speak No Evil. This would be my favorite movie this year, if not for X. This is a strong two. This just premiered on Shudder. It had its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival back in January. And I have been reading about it since then, and I've been seeing reactions. I was really anticipating this one because from the reactions, I was getting an idea that it would be 
pretty brutal. Just what people were saying led me to believe it might be something that I would enjoy. So this is about a uh, a family. It's a family picture. This is, again, like trick or treat. Yeah, it's like Disney. Something that you can gather the whole family around and, and everybody can relate to. It's a, a father and a mother and a young child. They're on vacation in Tuscany. And they meet another couple and a young child of about the same age, a little boy, and they kind of hit it off. It's one of those like vacation family friendships where they end up hanging out. And this this other couple is don't recommend this other couple is from the Netherlands. And at the end of the trip, they kind of say we should you know meet again sometime. And they all go their separate ways, and the Danish couple goes home back to their what seems like a pretty sterile upper class humdrum kind of daily lifestyle, and they get a letter, lo and behold, from uh, the Dutch couple saying, you should come visit us, come spend a long weekend at our secluded house in the uh, in the Dutch countryside, it'll be great, and they decide, what the heck, let's do it, let's go visit. There's no last names in this movie, which I thought was interesting, so it's just the Danes and the Dutch, uh, and I think there are some regional tensions that go on in this movie that I'm not, you know, schooled enough to really understand. I feel like we all kind of think of like uh, the Netherlands and Denmark and Sweden and Switzerland. We kind of just all think of it as the blonde part of Europe or something. Uh, But it's a little more complicated than that. And I think this movie kind of plays on some of those things. So this little visit starts to go downhill. As you can imagine, uh, it goes from a little weird to pretty awkward to this is not good to worse than that. This is incredible. Really excited to hear what everybody thought about this movie. Well, Trent, I am going to join you in saying that this would be my second favorite horror movie of the year. I think that X X has got to be up there. X is the comfort easy number one. But this gave me the same vibes as like funny games that we've talked about as The Killing of a Sacred Deer. This is very A24 for not being A24. It is one of the most uncomfortable movies. Honestly, this might be number one, if not for the uncomfortable factor that it has. It makes you squirm. It's a very, very slow burn. It's not really a horror movie until about maybe 15 to 18 minutes to go. But also, it has a lot of questions. It leaves a lot of questions. And I think that is it, it Christian Tafdrup is the writer-director, wrote it with, I think, his brother. Yes. Typically an actor. So, again, we've talked about this on the show before, where we have an actor stepping behind to do a feature film. And he may, I think he has a few others. But this is really, really smartly done. The characters are unbelievable. The acting in this movie, I'm not going to name any of the actors' names because we don't know any of them. Uh, I do appreciate, Trent, that you brought Netherlands horror in. I had the Netherlands Horror Week when I was visiting Amsterdam. I wish that this movie had been in the running when I was picking movies for that. That's true, because the pickings were fairly thin. Very thin. I I mean, I I love the movies that we did get a chance to talk about, but this would have been a a no-brainer. And once again, good on Shudder. I haven't really kept up necessarily as much as you have, Trent. I had no idea what this movie was. I didn't read anything. I only watched this movie today. So it's very fresh. Oh, and by the way, we're watching it right now. Yes. I won't even I won't even interrupt you guys. Thank to you. Let everyone Thank you. Know that Good to know. Yep, we're watching it right now. <laughs> we watch a lot of horror movies. We watch a lot of thrillers and tense movies. 
and it still takes a lot to sort of get me feeling a little like anxiety. This movie had my anxiety on 11 mm. the entire time. The way it ramps up and then just the shocking ending of it. And at the same time, it keeps you guessing. Like I dare, you know, listeners, if you haven't seen this movie, I dare you to go watch this movie and come back to me if you think you have it figured out at any point until they give you the ending. And even then, tell me you have it figured out. I, I don't know how spoilery we're going to get, but I still have a ton of questions. To me, this is like a genre of horror or a subgenre or a technique that's used that isn't used enough and is very effective on me. It's dismissive horror or like a social norm horror. So basically, you have a situation where you feel like you're in danger. And at that moment, you're there with the antagonist and you have every opportunity to use a phone. There's an unlocked door. Maybe there's a weapon. Maybe there's you're in public. But you have every opportunity to get out of this situation. But because of social norms, you have people around you are telling you that you need to act a certain way and stop being hysterical, stop being paranoid. Um, it reminded me a lot of a Shutter original that I watched recently called Watcher, which also uses that technique. Uh, so it's scary because you could leave, you could be all set, but no one believes you and no one trusts you, and then therefore you don't know who to trust. Uh, this reminded me a lot of Michael Haneke, who we talked about uh, with Funny Games and Time of the Wolf, and also very much like his movie Cachet, with all the, the tension and the paranoia surrounding uh, the main characters. I really thought the guy that played Patrick in this, uh, the antagonist who uh, is like your typical good time guy, he's the best host. It's, uh, it's really unnerving uh, how he keeps offering meat to uh, the vegetarian, and there's just small little social tension that happens and ramps up the whole time. Um, I love this movie. I think cinematically uh, it looks amazing. It's very understated. There's no special effects. It's raw and super grimy. Um, I thought Speak No Evil was great. So the, the two families that Trent sort of set up, you know, you have the Danish family with the daughter, and you have the Dutch family with the little boy. And the the father, Bjorn, of the Danes, he clearly is, they are people pleasers. They are coming from an upbringing in a culture where, okay, like we have to, you know, we can explain anything away, and we won't cut the cord. And that is a, an aspect of this movie that I like where, you as a viewer, I think, are constantly judging them. Like, dude, cut the cord. We know where this is going or this is heading nowhere good. But you have to put yourself, I think, in that situation. Like you just set up, Dave. What would you do? We probably honestly would. You know, maybe not this far in terms of what this movie shows us, but maybe we would. You, you, you just never know until you're in a situation like that. And then it sets up the Dutch with Patrick and Karen uh, as the, the, the husband and wife and then their son, Abel. They're, honestly, I think Karen is the greatest performance of this movie. 
where Patrick is the one that keeps like pushing the envelope very obviously, and you don't trust him from his first his first scene is him just walking up to Bjorn and saying, "Is this seat taken?" And you're instantly like, "I don't trust this guy." But it's Karen that gives the more nuanced and subtle performance that is the most evil of the entire movie. This this was incredibly uncomfortable for me. I was watching this movie. This is one of those movies that I was watching it alone, but I was still yelling at the screen like, bro, oh, oh, God. Punch him. It's just like anything. Just so it's like Curb Your Enthusiasm on steroids, like that kind of like social uncomfortable, awkward situations. So they're they're at this house, they're guests at a house. And one of the things that I think the movie does so brilliantly that is so relatable is that they're obviously pushing the envelope to what's obvious to us because we're watching a horror movie. But to the to the Danes, they just these things keep happening that seem off to them that offend their sensibilities and so they're getting progressively more frustrated especially Louisa the wife she and she has the little girl there and they're getting progressively more turned off and and their alarm bells are going off that maybe this isn't a situation they should be in but what happens is what happens in real life so many times is that whenever they sort of they've had it up to here and they they want to make a move and they or they start complaining or saying like this isn't working or we don't like this or we don't think they're confronted by the friendliest nicest hosts who have them in their home and what happens is each of those moments that you got so mad that you were so fed up they kind of like they disappear they're in the past now and now you're just looking at this person who's being so nice and friendly to you and they don't know why you're so offended and, and the, it's the gaslighting. Fu- patrick the guy who plays patrick does it so well that now you start running down well what was i so mad about oh they don't they don't have the biggest ho- oh they don't have the the biggest bed for the daughter okay they, so you're going through this thing and now you're like oh i guess their restaurant wasn't good enough for us wow i guess maybe we're the assholes but i had a number <laughs> of problems with the fact that uh, when she was confronted with uh, what was wrong, like, why are you mad? She didn't ever say, oh, you walked in on me when I was in the shower. That's, but that's what happens. You now watched, you can't even remember you all just the, having sex. That's what happens because now yeah. you can't even remember. Now there's so many things right. and they're all like scattered in your mind. And you're going, well, I just didn't, you were driving drunk. And it didn't, right. you know, you can, there's the whole, the whole list of, of offenses in this movie. It starts like right away when the Danes get to the house in the Netherlands, the bed that they have for the Danes daughter is on the floor next to, uh, to Abel's bed. Yeah, next to little boy's bed. And it's not even a mattress. It's like a mat and a little pillow, like a couch pillow. This is not a bed. So well, and then they bust out, what? they bust out ignoring Louise, her She's a, a pescatarian. She keeps calling That's herself right. a vegetarian. That's the second thing. they ignore that a bunch of times. Oh, you have to eat this meat. They're just so rude about it. Just take a bite. Just take a bite. Uh, they're mean to the son. Now they're starting to be like kind of mean to, the, to their little boy. Well, we have to talk about the fact that they say that the son has what um, I have it written down. Congenital aglossia. Right. Born with no tongue or a right. smaller tongue. He doesn't really talk so to. much. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he, we're, we're horror <laughs> veterans. We know what's up. 
I, I mean, all they tell you is that the son has a has a condition where he wasn't born with a full tongue, and so he doesn't do a whole lot of talking. And so they're kind of they're like kind of mean to the son. But again, that's very uncomfortable. What are you going to do? Tell these people you hardly know that you're staying at their house that you don't like the way they talk to their son? That's pretty. That's one of the scenes where Karen, which I believe I'm I'm going to go hard down that she's the best actress in this. And by the way, Patrick and Karen. Uh, married in real life. Did not know that. But that's where she, like, one of the subtle moments where she, they're, when uh, Bjorn and Louise start questioning how they're treating Abel, Karen just says, what, something's wrong because we do things differently than you? Then there, there are other things that go on as the, the babysitter incident where they say, we want to take you out to dinner tonight. The Dutch want to take the Danes out to our favorite restaurant, really nice place. We'll take you out. And then all of a sudden, a babysitter is coming over. Oh, the kids aren't going. We're, the babysitter is going to watch the kids. They didn't get the parents' permission for that. They're, uh, they're at the restaurant. They're sexy dancing. They're getting a little too sexy for the Danes. It's a little uncomfortable. They're making out. They're, they're groping. Okay. The restaurant itself... Nobody's there. Kind of scary. It's not Nobody's a nice. There. It's like the <laughs> nicest, the nicest restaurant it's not around. A nice I'm using restaurant. air quotes right now. I, I love They're when, the only people there. I love when Louisa later calls it a roadhouse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and then, but then she now then feels stuck up because then uh, oh, Karen's it, like, oh, not, the, oh, you call it a roadhouse nice enough for you. It's not a nice enough restaurant for you. And then on the way back from the restaurant, Patrick is he's a little tipsy. He's driving. He's playing music loud that's making them uncomfortable so if you get all these things one at a time there's the shower incident where louisa is in the shower and patrick just walks right in like brushes his teeth greatest he's not this, looking at this her. move but but the score of this movie and the sound design is incredible the tooth brushing sound in the shower incident is amazing so when you when you add all these up and now you have to explain these are all pretty minor things that when you're confronted yeah. with someone how like really, all these things? Like you have to leave now. You're so, you're so offended. Dismissive horror. I'm telling you. Yeah, it's easily uh, dismissed. As you, you guys it. have had way more weird experiences. I would have been fucking out of there night one. <laughs> well, that's what you say when you're watching it, though. That's what I think exactly. Is the, Which the is genius. what I previously said. I don't know what I'd really do if but I. The was kid there. was dancing, and the father was like really Ugh. critical of the dancing. That's when I would have been out. Well, and that's that when, was that's when Bjorn stood up. That's when the father, the other, you know, the 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 Dane said, "This is enough. You're, we're not going to stand here while you essentially are abusive to your son. We're not going to take." Which, this by anymore. the way, Bjorn is a scrawny, tiny man. Patrick is a formidable he, yes. figure, and yes. I, I feel like that was cast intentionally. Absolutely, one hundred percent. They're kind of like masculinity mirrors. You have Patrick is the the bruising kind of macho guy, and Bjorn is the much less macho. And there's even a scene where they kind of bond, where where uh, Patrick encourages Bjorn to go out to the edge of this cliff and scream and yell. So, so I have a neighbor. Uh, for so for a while, like so when the pandemic started and lockdown started. Uh, my deck ha- it abuts right up against. You guys have been on my deck. I have the neighbor that's right there. And so during the pandemic, when lockdown started, I would be out there taking work calls and doing stuff, and I would just hear maniacal screaming and be like, what is happening? And what I found out is that my neighbor that lives there was doing something called scream therapy. No where she would just stand way. in her room. No way. And scream maniacally. <laughs> 
and it what? was a form of therapy. <laughs> she's a lovely, she's a lovely woman. Uh, we get along great. I go do yard work for her. Uh, she's fine. Wow. But uh, she was having like the police called because people were like, um, "Somebody's dying." Like it sounded like. So, like I would That's go inside, crazy. so I huh. ended up like my other neighbor next to me, uh, also working from home. We would sort of uh, talk and be like, "Do you hear that screaming?" And finally, I ended up like getting a text, and she was like, "Sorry," from my neighbor that was doing the scream therapy, saying, "Sorry, uh, the the police were here. Um, it's me. I'm, I'm doing something called sc- scream therapy, and it helped me." Wow, I mean, I'm sorry, but that's weird as hell. It is. <laughs> It is. Well, that that's in this movie. Uh, Patrick takes Bjorn out to the cliff for a little bit of scream therapy. And you, you, we've seen that kind of dynamic before where the tormented is almost starting to admire the tormentor because there's a side of the tormentor that he really, that he wishes he had. He wishes that he had that confidence, that machismo and that devil may care attitude, but he doesn't. Yes. He really is looking up to Patrick and saying, I wish I had the ability right. to do this. Yeah, so that's a big part of they, they do set that up early on in the movie. It's subtle early on in the movie, but it, if you watch this film, if you haven't seen it yet, pay attention to Bjorn in the lead up to them going to visit Patrick and Karen, and you'll see a lot of what is to come and what may lead to his lack of getting his family out of the situation. Well, that sort of reminds me of Funny Games. When I was talking Very about much. Michael Haneke is because he literally does nothing. Yeah. He does nothing. He gets punched in the face. He sees dead children. He does uh, all this stuff's happening and he's paralyzed. And I don't think that it should be understated that that's a part of horror. That's a part of suspense is that when this shit goes down, you may just be paralyzed. That's the classic thing you say don't go in the basement. Why right. would you go outside? This right. this takes that to a much subtler level, and I think it's harder to say what you would do. Where where would your end point be? The end point, I think, finally really comes when Bjorn and Luisa are having finally a little bit of sexy time, and there's kind of like there's a sort of like a window to their room, and their their daughter Agnes is crying out that she wants to go to their bed. Of course, she's on this mat on the floor. And they see Patrick, and he kind of gets a little look into the room. Well, Bjorn sees Patrick. Yes, right, right, only Bjorn. He gets a little look into the room, and then later, um, Louisa gets up later and goes to find her daughter, and she's sleeping with Patrick and Karen in their bed. And Patrick's naked. A big old butt hanging right out there. That's the final straw of all... All of this stuff, which is, you know, a pretty, a good straw. But again, when they're confronted with it, they say, well, she was crying. She was crying out for you. Where were you? She was crying out for you. And then we went to get her and comfort her. And she was in tears. So we took her to bed. What what, what did you want us to do? Why weren't you doing like, something What were you it? doing? Right. Oh, I was fucking. <laughs> I was Our weakest moment. Our weakest moment. <laughs> which if, if Bjorn... I don't know about you, but I I know we've said many times, we're not sure what we'd do if we were in this situation. I know that if I was having sexy time at a stranger's house and the husband who already had been giving some weird triggers. This is already a lot of stuff. Yeah. I would 
definitely tell my wife that dude was just watching us do sexy time. He, but he wasn't watching. He was walking by. No, no, no. There's a whole he one did look. second of he him got a look. staring. And he did. He was watching. He took a I look. I would say that. <laughs> he took a look. Okay. And the other thing is that Louise does not. So You're I'm punching holes. Right I'm punching holes in this, <laughs> and I love the movie. But then when Louise finds Agnes, their daughter, in bed naked. With with a naked Patrick. Well, Agnes is not naked, but Patrick. Ag- yes, yeah. yes. Thank you. I would definitely. She does not tell Bjorn that. So, well, I, she says it later. I know that my wife would right. come in and say, "We have to go right now." <laughs> Our daughter was in bed with Patrick. He was naked. I would wake up and say, "Oh, you mean the guy that I just told you was watching us do sexy time?" So there. I understand some of the criticisms of the film. However, it, it does not, everything that we're talking about, it does not take away from the way the tension builds. And holy fuck, what an unbelievable final 15 minutes. Oh. You know, I think about it in, in even like in the broadest terms, this movie made me think about the fact that every living thing from plant, animal, human, is trying to impress its will upon the world around it to make the world as accommodating to them as they can make it and if you're not doing that someone will be happy to do it for you you will have someone else's will impressed upon you the the less you impress your own will the more somebody else is going to fill that vacuum for you and the next thing you know you're going to be Bjorn and Louisa and uh, trying to explain away why you didn't leave this friggin house you know, a day ago. Every day, I change who I am. Exactly. To try to accommodate a situation I'm in. Exactly. At work or out in public right. or wherever. That's everyday horror. Every single day I wake up and I'm me maybe 70% of the time. If you're looking for trouble... Came to the right place. If you're looking for trouble, just look right in my face. I was born standing up and talking back. My daddy was a green eyed mountain jack because I'm evil. My middle name All right, my second pick for this week, and one of my other very favorite movies from this year, is called Saloon. This actually debuted at some film festivals in 2021, but just got picked up by Shudder. This is another one that had gotten some, generated some some buzz on the film festival circuit, and I was kind of waiting to see where it would land, and it just happened to land on Shudder. This is a, a Senegalese movie, and definitely, I think, the first... African movie we've talked about on the podcast. This is uh, directed and co-written by Jean-Luc something or other. This is not a great name week. I, I should have said that from the beginning. I'm not, I don't, you know, Jean-Luc. Um, I would say Erbelo. Okay. <laughs> uh, he has, uh, he has uh, one other feature film and he has actually has a show on Netflix, like a, uh, a series that I saw described as law and order meets evil. You know, the show evil. 
Love that show. Yeah, so I guess that's on Netflix, but I haven't I haven't heard of the the filmmaker. This is his production company, or he's a co-founder of the production company that was founded in Dakar, Africa in 2019. Uh, this is about a paramilitary, a three-man paramilitary mercenary group uh, called the Bangui Hyenas. And they've kind of established this almost lore, this legend through these kind of uh, global hotspots where they come in and they're willing to do dirty jobs for hire. This is set in 2003 and it there's a lot of actual real life historical stuff about Africa that I'm completely ignorant on that's going on in this movie. There's kind of a lot to the setting. So it it, it sets up in there's a uh, there's a coup in uh, Guinea-Bissau and the the new regime is threatening to go after all the drug dealers. So the hyenas have ostensibly been hired to take out this drug dealer, but really the hyenas have been rehired by the drug cartel to rescue the drug dealer. They make it look like a kidnapping. So this movie opens up in kind of a, a war zone and the, the hyenas are kidnapping this drug dealer. I loved it right from the beginning. I thought it looked amazing. The cinematography, and this is a, a first time director of photography in this movie, incredibly just the way it looks i was right away i was pretty much sold it's really beautiful it has a very western feel it's kind of a, a genre mashup to me very kind of western film noir crime heist thriller and then you know um supernatural horror and environmental horror um socio-political horror all that stuff is going on in this movie. This is another high rewatchability movie for me. The first time I saw this, as soon as it was over, I just wanted to watch it again. So I've watched it a couple more times since then. It's a lot to take in. It's a short movie, but it is jam-packed, and I certainly don't understand everything, but I love this movie. Well, uh, one of the things uh, with this movie is it starts with a coup in Guinea, and um, my ex-brother-in-law... Is now the president oh, of yeah. of Guinea because he had I a forgot. coup against um, the president, and he went and took over the country, and that's wild. But um, West African horror is not something that's uh, been very prevalent at all. And uh, when I was uh, with a girl for West Africa. We used to watch movies, and I'd be like, this is a movie I grew up on, and check this out. This is Friday the 13th. And then she'd be like, oh, cool, this is a movie I grew up on, and check this out. And when the production quality of a movie is so much lower than Friday the 13th, you know, you have to be like, like, wow, that, you know, you're, you're in a whole different ballgame. Uh, and the... Evolution of West African horror or, or African horror in general. We've talked about his house, and there's a bunch of stuff coming out of Africa. This is Senegal, and what it is they're going from uh, Guinea Bissau, uh, north of there to Senegal. And uh, it's amazing because not a lot of horror movies have come from this area, and the fact that the pr production quality is so. Uh, just on point on this movie is amazing. I love that about it. Um, but I did not love this movie. I thought it was very uneven. I thought that as soon as the horror elements come into this movie, which is very abrupt, uh, it's, it reminds me almost of like, uh, 
city of of God or a uh, beast of no nation when it first starts it's like this uh, third world country like almost gangster kind of movie uh, and then it changes abruptly and when it changes abruptly it was too abrupt for me um, I thought that all the actors relationships with each other changed as soon as it got uh, into horror uh, as soon as the horror elements started all of a sudden, these people that uh, had barely known each other didn't know anything about each other's pasts. Suddenly, they're all very close, and they're all uh, they're all mourning these deaths of each other, and, and they're all sad and everything. Before that, everyone was strangers, and I I didn't like that part of it. I there was a lot of uh, inconsistencies in the plot, in the fact that uh, you know these these monsters. Uh, this curse attacks all your five senses. So they put on like headphones to like block out the sound. But what about the sight? What about the smell? What about the feel? Um, that's one thing they said. And they, and they also said that these uh, monsters and the curse could not be killed with weapons. Your, your weapons are no use to them. And then they go on the whole rest of the movie to be slaying these demons with swords and guns. And it's almost like every shot is a kill shot. And I thought for something that was supposed to be so ambiguous and so uh, undestroyable that this was weird that they did that. Um, I found this movie to be very uneven. I didn't love this movie as much as I, I thought I should have. Cinematically, it's beautiful, but I didn't love the story. Yeah, I think cinematically, one of the things that came to mind was Children of Men. They do a lot of those action shots that are like in real time where you're kind of following the action. Like a one shot. Yeah, I didn't. But uh, Trent, sorry. Um, you gave us. You didn't like this one either? You gave us Speak No Evil, which uh, I, you guys... I agreed with you. Prop, top three. It's going to be hard to, to take that out of my top three. I did not like this movie. Oh man! It this looked like it looked like a lifetime movie. Oh, oh. it looked. Dude, this movie looks oh. amazing. Kevin it does not look like a lifetime movie. When the C- when the CGI you... shows up, it looks like oh, Sharknado. Yeah, the CGI is terrible. It's bad. That's terrible. It's bad. There's a way that you could have done this movie with. You know, you set it up beautifully. Like, I think the listeners know what the movie's about, and and there is a supernatural a supernatural twist that happens about halfway through, and then it turns into sci-fi, like the Sci-Fi Channel. And I could not see past that. I think there's a way you could have done this movie to make it scarier without having the weird black flies. That that did me in. Um, that being said, I I enjoyed the acting performances. I thought that the three hyenas were great. I thought that their relationships, Dave, actually stayed pretty consistent. I liked the arc where when, when they found out that they maybe couldn't trust one of them for the position that they were in, I thought that that was like a nice relationship and emotional arc. I liked some of the people in Saloom and the relationships they built. I thought that was pretty cool and 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 reasonably well fleshed out. 
However, overall, this was just uneven is the best way to describe it. I thought this was incredibly uneven. Didn't really get a great payoff. Uh, didn't love the ending. Yeah. Sorry. Wow. I mean, I can't believe you would say this movie looks like a Lifetime movie. This that movie is it's incredible. That's the best thing about it is how good it looks. Maybe sci-fi is the best. I know. Way to I know. Put. You guys are hung up on the monsters when the supernatural stuff happens. It ruins the movie. It's not the as impressive great as you until might. Then. Yeah, I, I didn't mind that as much. the The monsters, the the look of the actual spirits when they end up in the supernatural part of the movie. I I understand the where you guys thought that fell short. I probably would have done that differently if it's my movie, but that didn't bother me that much. As soon as it it a, a curse is lifted, and when the curse is lifted, all of a sudden it's a horror movie. And before that, uh, it was just a great grimy third world. Right. It was a crime. It was like a crime heist thriller. Right. It was almost it turns like into- Zack Snyder. It, was, it reminded me of like a Zack Snyder like DC movie, like the voice overdub, the title cards that kept coming in, like. Which I'm all for. Like I love Army of the Dead on Netflix, and and like I'm I'm a a Snyder apologist. But yes, when when it turns full horror, I was just like, yeah, can't do this. Like I feel I feel like I feel like I just uh, stepped into Sharknado. I I can't believe you, Sharknado again. The CGI is terrible. This is this is like a huge miss for you guys this week. I can't believe how badly you are missing on this movie. I I liked the movie until the point that it turned horror. It is. I mean, it it is trying to kind of mash up a few different genres. When I liked that aspect of it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, what Josiah saw because that movie does that same thing where. It's not really a horror movie through most of it. It's the Southern Gothic drama, and there's different all the different stories, kind of a crime drama, then it's a family drama, then it's kind of horror. So this is doing that kind of like, it's a Western, it's a heist movie, it's an action movie, and then at the end, it's a horror movie. I, I thought that was a strength. I liked that. I loved the paranoia in, in when they're at the resort between they and the other guests and between the hyenas themselves. Everybody's trying to figure out what everybody's doing. The other two hyenas are trying to figure out what uh, Chaka's angle is here because they think there's more going on than just laying low and getting fuel. The um, the cop shows up, happens to show up at the resort. Oh, it's the chief of police. He's just taking a few days off. You wonder what he's really doing there. Has he made the hyenas? Does he know what they're doing? And I loved the character who... Uh, speaks only in sign language. She also just pre- seems to be a random vacationer oh, wow. who's at the resort. And of course, the hyenas in their line of work, they know sign language and only they can communicate with her. So there's this great scene where they're, everyone at the resort is at this communal dinner table and she's telling the hyenas, I know who you are and I'm going to expose you basically unless you let me come with you. Like she wants to join the hyenas and they're having this whole back and forth and everybody's getting kind of annoyed because nobody can, uh, can tell what they're saying. I just, I love that. I thought it was so good. No, I mean, you're, you're talking about everything that I liked about the movie until a certain point. All of that is great. And like the sign language aspect, I, I think there's even a deeper meaning for sign language that, that Definitely. you just hinted at uh, in terms of militias and, 
you know, the hyenas and what they're out there doing. I think all that is is fine. Like I loved this movie, and and I will say the the acting performances are fantastic. I really think it comes down to pacing, storytelling, and the CGI. There are a lot of movies that we watch that we can forgive some CGI. This one <laughs> falls into the category for me where I can't. So what I what the vibes I was getting from this were like dust, from Dust Till Dawn. D- very so similar. So I was like, yes, 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 I'm about to see like uh, an African from Dust Till Dawn. This is going to be great. Yeah. yeah. Just Honestly, they would have been better off if they used their sound design and the score instead of the CGI. I would have been more scared. I would have actually taken taken this movie more seriously if they had gone that that down that road. Yeah, well, when you see yeah. the movie, like up until that point, it seems like they took hours and hours and hours to make this movie, and then once the CGI stuff comes in, it's like. All shaky cam and bad CGI. Yeah, it's like they they just gave up for the outro. It also reminded me of Witching and Bitching, where it was like a, a yep, bunch of that. like scoundrels, and then yeah, yeah, and they're doing a crime, and then there's that that uh, suspense there where they might get caught or whatever, and then it, it switches and you you get a spoiler about like what the the full intentions are. But then I just think that it falls short uh, in the character development once the curse is lifted and all the supernatural stuff comes in. There's all of a sudden the characters are all like they didn't know the backstory. They didn't know where any of these people came from. And now they're all best friends. Well, I think I think that was because all of a sudden now there's this predator this this reminded me a lot of predator and of, of overlord we've talked about movies where the military or a paramilitary unit you mentioned dusk till dawn similar gangster heist or or military unit they come up against the enemy that they have no understanding of not the enemy that they would expect to face on a battlefield so i really liked that i always liked that kind of thing where the den of thieves has to confront something supernatural but i felt like when once they're dealing with the supernatural, then yes, they're not enemies. These are just people. There's a rapper and his music producer, and you know there are people at the resort. So I felt like at that point, now the the enemy has become so much more powerful and and so much different than anything that they've ever faced before. That now there's maybe a little a little bit of togetherness with like the cop even. Now the the hyenas and the cop are kind of like fighting together because they're all gonna die if they don't you know, defeat these uh, CGI monsters that you guys hate so much. Nothing led up to the ending. It was supposed to be, I, I feel like, a very emotional ending. Yeah, I you thought it was. You were supposed to feel something. I, did, I didn't. Yeah. Well, like, I just thought that it felt like kind of Like, we could have used much more backstory about the torture of the children yes. and I, all that stuff. Like, we didn't get much of that. We just got a little taste of that. I think that, then, yeah. I think that's where there's some context that, it, you know, I think is maybe a little bit lost in translation because you have the whole backstory with, with Chaka, the leader of the hyenas is that essentially like he was a captive child. It's, I think it's hinted at that he was a child soldier and that's talked about in the movie a couple times that they used to, they used to ramp up the child soldiers with crack and tell them stories of the hyenas uh, and were they sorcerers and were they cannibals. And, and so 
what happens is that the leader of the hyena, as it turns out, he he's been here before, and he was here as a as a captive child. And then there's this whole thing where the guy who's running the camp, Omar, he is keeping children captive as some sort of deal with the spirits. And I I thought that was kind of like um, a little bit of an uh, environmental allegory there too, because they're talking about how they're trying to um, to maintain the coastline, and there's just a lot about. I think geographical political stuff in there. They could have gone more into that stuff for me. I agree. To me, agree. they they just skimmed over a lot of that stuff. It's, they did. It's a lot. Yeah, to, in, they jam in, a lot in, in favor in of minutes. like very like like music video cinematography. Like you guys keep saying, like it looks great, it looks beautiful, and yeah, there are some like um, amazing drone shots and like overhead shots, but a lot of like the action shots to me looked really cheap, and the flashback shots. Look like oh. they were shot on like a, a video camera that we would have dug out of our parents' closet when we were kids. Well, those I mean, those were dream sequences. To be fair, I mean, but like I, well, think I mean, I, but I, I mean, I've seen better dream sequences on like <laughs> Safe by the I've had better dreams. Bell. I, I like, think you could have played into like that whole part more, like the trauma of Shaka, because until the point where it is revealed. You don't really even know that he's that tortured. Yeah, they have to. They have this magic dust that they blow into people's face that makes them go unconscious, which I like. Um, but except for that, except that he's afraid to go on the boat. You don't. Oh, yeah. You have no trauma before that. You know, you have no uh, history of like how tortured he is. That that's what the dream sequences are. I know. I think they could be a little bit more. I I agree. There, I I think that it does try to stuff probably too much into less than ninety minutes. I think there are so many things going on, and a lot. They probably could have taken like three of those things, and and expanded upon them, like you're saying, so that there's a little bit more resonance and it makes a little bit more sense. I, I wouldn't disagree with that. But there's no, and there's no character. There's too many characters in the movie that aren't developed. So I think what Dave was talking about when he's saying certain things happen, there are pivots in the movie where we kick into like a new act and characters' interactions are all of a sudden completely different, but we don't have enough backstory. So we, I don't care. I like, like I, love I don't the really characters. care. Like there's a char- the there's greatness. a point where like uh who is it? Uh Minuit or Rafa is trying to go save two people that were left behind in a in a shack or a hut. And I'm like, I don't know who those two people are. At one point there's like a line of dialogue like, Were you up all night fucking? And it's like, well, I, I, I think was he was relaxing. I, it's he well he was yeah, Rafa was I think was having sex with the woman is what, but again, it's it's so subtle you don't really. It's so so what's going on with yeah. the five senses? I thought it was mostly that it was the hear that was the hearing. The, well, they, they, they hear. the hearing, so, yeah, was I, I hearing but that, they so. said yeah. in the dialogue they said that it was all five senses that they attacked. Right. No, but to your point, they get in through your ears first. I did want to mention that when you said yeah, that. Yeah, that's why the, they do clarify that they get in through your ear first and then they attack all your senses. Like it, a podcast. They don't do a great <laughs> yeah. They don't do a great job showing that other than at the end, near the end, there's one woman who they they show her eyes went, but she can still hear. Right. And I was confused about really uneven I, I mean, 84 minutes, short movie. Thank you, Trent. Both movies this week were... Getting it done. Yep. They were uh, they were short-timed. This uh, this one, I 
I just think they missed the mark. In well, terms I, I of thought like the characterizations the were great. I loved the hyenas. I loved Chaka is perfect. And he has this, he's so expressive. I loved when he says to Omar, when they're arriving at the resort, you'll be sick to death of us. And he has this yeah, big, awesome, wide yeah. smile. I loved the um, kind of the tough guy of the group, Rafa. He's got the mohawk, the white beard. He's always carrying around a big meat cleaver. He's the guy that's going to go uh, bang your girlfriend in the hut, the the pathetic music guy. Uh, then there's uh, Midwheat is like this like crazy, white, dreaded, spiritual He's guy. He's the only one I cared about. I loved him. When, when, when his situation happened, I felt emotion. That, and that was so great. The way the I loved the way the hyenas uh, are are kind of fighting amongst themselves, and that's one of the things that right away in the movie they're starting to mistrust their leader. But they still all put their heads together, and they're all in it together. And they, I, I thought it was very powerful when when Rafa stops in the middle of all this action toward the end. Rafa stops and says to Chaka, "I'm sorry for what happened to you here." And they put their heads together, and then Minwe comes over, and he puts his head in, and they join arms. You know, I, I thought there were a, a lot of examples of that, of a, a much softer and a much warmer kind of, of masculine love that you would see in, normally in an action-type movie like this. I disagree that a lot of the horror elements happen in daylight. I think that if it was nighttime, it would have been much scarier. Uh, than the way they did it in this, where they were fighting these but they right. couldn't weird have their CGI weird, thing. They couldn't have their weird black bees. <laughs> That's why. Yeah, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see it. Like, turn the lights off. Like, you know. Uh, do we want it? Well, dead wrong. I'm sorry to say that my co-hosts this week are dead wrong on Saloom. Don't listen to them. <laughs> you know me. We've been together through 134 episodes. Trust me. You need to see Saloom. Uh, do we want to spoil? Um, do you guys want to talk about the end of Speak No Evil at all? Uh, sure. I, I mean, I, again, I will say if you haven't seen this movie, this is one of the movies that I will say this is like Goodnight Mommy level. Do not listen to a spoiler. Right. Now we're done. Yeah, you know, go yeah. watch the movie. Even though, okay, here's what I would say the movie, first of all, it's called Speak No Evil. And obviously that is alluding to, in part, the, what we talked about, the politeness and the, and the social niceties and all of that. But when you're told that Abel doesn't talk much because he was born without a tongue in a movie called Speak No Evil, I mean, I pretty early on figured like somebody it, cut I mean, this it's from, it's from the Bible verse. <laughs> right. Like part of that Bible verse is right. like be gentle and polite to all people. So, so, it, I mean, so, it, so I'm wondering the whole way, are they going to do the little girl? Is the kid gonna get it? I can report to you. I'm happy to report. So I thought. I thought. Kid gets it. I thought that Bjorn was going to get it. I thought he was going to stand up for his family and fucking slaughter. Oh, Patrick and Karen. Yeah, and then it would be discovered that they really were nice the entire oh, time. Oh, okay. That would have been interesting. That's where I was going. Okay, I've seen that kind of move before. That would have been great, right? Yes. Bjorn finally goes crazy trying to be the masculine man that he wants to be and, like, kills Patrick, and then it turns out, like, they no, actually No, they're were... fine. <laughs> yeah, he was just trying to... Yeah, they're, they're yeah they're cool. He was just a little weird. He, <laughs> just just like they make you think the entire he movie. He was eccentric. Oh, he's just a little weird. He didn't have to kill the man. Yeah. And then his wife was going to be like, holy shit. 
honey. You no, just I, killed I, that I guy. like that dynamic too because it's the whole dismissive thing that where you think that everything's okay or you can just write everything off that everyone's doing. That would have uh, been interesting. Yeah. I, I would have liked that. But what really happens is... It's a cla- a classic scene where a Bjorn finds the, the there's like a little shack behind the house. Bjorn starts seeing luggage, suitcases, cameras, mementos of them on vacation with every other kid. And like then, before they see him with Abel, oh but then God. before that with yeah, another kid. So basically, they're selling tongues, black market. <laughs> they're selling child tongues, it, black market. What do you market. guys think it is? Because I still don't know. It's, it's not explained. So Bjorn finds, along with all the luggage and all the things that the other people before them had, the other visitors, all these pictures of Patrick and Karen. And every picture is like, with it, they've switched the kid out with every and this. We're talking about like two hundred. So they're just killing lot. kids. I think that I would assume it's some sort of trafficking thing. So then they hand. Abel I don't think off it's a trafficking to, thing. I think they're trying to find like the perfect kid, but no. they have to be funding it somehow. Now they're they're handing when when they cut out Agnes's tongue and take her to be their next the kid on their next mission. They hand off Abel to the babysitter. He no, goes but Abel, and then Abel's dead in the pool. Oh shit! That's right. That's the fucking. I thought the same right. thing, Trent. But then when yeah, Abel's so dead, just, when Bjorn sees Abel dead in the pool, I was he, like, "Right, are they just doing this? Yes, to they're just trying to it. find the perfect kid." Well, they yeah, they have they have a fun. kid uh, with no tongue, you know, to lure other families. <laughs> right, you know, where like a family. But why do they have to swap out and kill Abel? I don't know. They just like to. It's they're having fun. Come on, guys. We got to get to the bottom of this. There, it, that's what no happens bottom. you don't want a real job. That's that's, that's the where thing. I'm gonna How are up. they funding it? That's the thing. And like, and, uh, why is the Wallace, house? Bro. Why is the house that Bjorn gets to when they're trying to escape in the final escape attempt? Yeah, that's empty. Why is the bar? The bar we talked the about. The only fucking people. Only here. customers. And then they have to pick up. I forgot about. Oh, he. Makes they have to pick up, up the tap, which, which is <laughs> classic. That you know that. <laughs> but I mean, they that, are hosting them. I think that was fair. Like you should volunteer if you're staying at someone's house. I mean, maybe that you should pick has up nothing to do with like us getting to the bottom of like what they're doing. What the fuck are they doing, and how are they finding it? The it. There's no answer to that. You guys talked about Haneke, Funny Games. One of my favorite quotes from Michael Haneke is one of my favorite filmmakers of all time. He says, uh, liars have answers. There's no answers. There's, he hates providing answers. He is interested in questions. And, and you can read interviews with Haneke where he talks about, you don't know. You can't tell me why you did half the things you did today. I can't tell you why I did this or that, the other thing. So why do we demand these answers from films when we're talking about human nature? We're trying to get to the bottom of things and we're trying to really examine who we are. Sometimes there just isn't an answer or if there is, I don't know it and I'm not interested in providing it to you. And I think this is right along those lines. Like, I don't know. Why did they do it? I mean, evil the ba- man, the babysitter. He, he was complicit, obviously. He's complicit, part of the operation. And it Weird seemed like he was taking Agnes somewhere, but it would seem like he was taking Agnes back to the their tongue. house. Yeah, he was taking to take care of the rest of the tongue. And, and all then that. they stone <laughs> poor Bjorn and Louisa to death, which is a fucking, <laughs> that's a harrowing scene. <laughs> I was not. I was expecting like a gunshot, <laughs> or so, and then like a rock hits her head as they're hugging, and uh, I was like, "Oh my god, that's fucking mean." Uh, biblical, it's mean. Also very biblical. It's very biblical. If you're gonna be the weakest of the pack, 
You're going to get stoned to death in a pit. That's what happens. So are they literally just going on vacation all the time and getting a kid and... I guess that, yeah, that's. I, that. I find this an inspirational story as an unemployed person. Like, you know, like he just goes on vacation and, and he gets a new kid for every trip. That's all I got to do. Well, I'm glad you guys got one of these right this week. Next week, it's James Wan week. We're going to be talking about the 2010 film called Insidious, which is on Netflix right now. And we're going to be checking out the 2018 movie called The Nun, which is VOD.